Showgirls came out in 1995 at the peak of 90s irony. It was a time when filmmakers made violent or sexist movies that pleased a certain audience, then said they were satirizing those kinds of movies to please a different audience. You know that scene in The Simpsons when one Gen X hipster says of Homer Simpson, he's cool, and another asks the first hipster if he's being ironic, and the first hipster breaks down in tears because he doesn't know anymore? That's the 90s. You could fall into that same goofy hall of mirrors with Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls, the story of a dancer named Nomi Malone who dreams of starring in a topless review in Vegas. There's lots of sex and violence and uncomfortable racial dynamics and an LGBTQ subplot that feels weird. Are Verhoeven and screenwriter Joe Esterhaus critiquing these Hollywood tropes or adding to them? Or both? And do Showgirls deserve this kind of analysis and engagement? Critics at the time said no, and some reviewed the movie in ways that were at least as sexist as Showgirls itself. But filmmaker Jeffrey McHale proves in his fantastic new documentary, You Don't Know Me, that Showgirls is a very worthy object of analysis. For what it tells us about Hollywood, about filmmaking, and about the ways audiences' reactions to and interpretations of a movie are sometimes more inspired than the movie itself. Mikhail, our guest on today's Movie Maker Interviews, engages with Showgirls in the context of Verhoeven's other films, including Robocop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and another Joe Esterhaus collaboration, Basic Instinct. Mikhail also talks about the meta-narrative that comes out of the movie Showgirls, because remember, 90s, there's got to be a meta-narrative. Nomi's life parallels in some ways that of Elizabeth Berkley, the Saved by the Bell actress who plays her with total commitment in Showgirls. And their lives parallel in some ways that of April Kidwell, who stars in a campy Showgirls-inspired musical featured in You Don't Know Me. Mikhail's documentary is also unintentionally perfect for the COVID-19 era of movie making. Mikhail skillfully uses voiceovers from people who might usually be featured on screen as talking heads, and plays their observations over smartly assembled images that complement and deepen one another. It's a format anyone could do at a time of social distancing, as long as they had Mikhail's creativity and rigor. My name's Tim Malloy, and I talked with Jeffrey Mikhail over Skype a couple of weeks ago from his home, so you might hear a leaf blower near the end. The interview starts right after this special preview for The Industry, the latest Movie Maker podcast, which I highly, highly recommend you check out. My name is Dan Delgado, and I'm inviting you to take a different look at the industry you know and love. On my podcast, The Industry, we're focusing on the lesser-known stories, things that went on in the background and under the radar, or maybe just forgotten entirely. Runaway productions, insane decisions, and just overall weirdness is what's going on in this industry. And every once in a while, things do work out. The Industry, a podcast presented by Movie Maker. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, Jeffrey. Hey, how's it going? What made you want to make a movie about showgirls? You know, I um, it was something I was a fan of ever since I've ever since I saw it. Um, I kind of came to it late in life. Um, it was after it had already become a queer cult classic. I was living in Chicago uh, at the time, and uh, I was with a friend. And you know, your movies always come up, and what movies we haven't seen. And you know, Showgirls. He was shocked that I hadn't seen Showgirls, and he walked over and picked it up off his uh, DVD shelf and popped it in the uh, the TV and we, we watched it immediately and you know my, my mind was just kind of blown. I don't know why it took me so long. Maybe I, I kind of thought I 
didn't need to see it or I, I kind of knew I got the gist based on the, you know, the ad campaign. I was definitely too young when it first came out to see it in theaters. But, um, you know, it was just like one of those things where, you know, your heart starts racing. And like, I mean, even the first few minutes, you're like, is this this is the movie? Oh, my God. Like, how, how has this thing been sitting around? And like, why is it taking me this long to to see it? And uh, so, yeah, I, it, I had been a fan of it ever since. And, um, you know, it's just one of those movies that you kind of keep revisiting and I was actually at the uh, Hollywood Forever Cinespia screening uh, for the 20th anniversary when Elizabeth Berkeley came and introduced the film. And, you know, that was just like mind blowing because, you know, living in L.A., you know, we go to those things, you know, we used to go to those things that, uh, every summer, you know, at least try to get one in. And sometimes people associated with the films would show up and introduce or say say a few words afterwards. But I mean, none of us expected to see, you know, that anyone from the film would be would be there. And so, you know, when she came out, it was just, you know, knowing that we were going to then watch Showgirls with uh, Nomi Malone herself was just uh, kind of mind blowing. And so after that, I uh, just was kind of was curious, you know, I was kind of curious why this thing, uh, why we're drawn to it, you know, as a member of the, the LGBTQ community, you know, I, it's, it's something that's part of our lexicon and I wanted to kind of dive deeper, you know, I'm a television editor by day. Uh, and I, it seemed like the perfect kind of topic to explore and just kind of figure out, um, what was there. I was, uh, a big fan of Room 237 and Los Angeles Plays Itself and documentaries like that. And so I found those really inspiring for like what could be done, you know, with um, kind of a deep dive analysis into, you know, particular film using fair use and stuff like that. And I, I thought, oh, this is like the perfect opportunity because it's something I can do on my own. I don't need to like get any, you know, permission. I can just kind of play with, uh, Play with the you know audio interviews. I, I reached out to the contributors, um, you know, after I kind of consumed everything uh, uh, written about Showgirls, and you know everyone was game and really excited to talk about something. So it, it was a perfect kind of opportunity to kind of work on something in my free time um, and just kind of figure out if there was anything there. And finally, you know, after nine months of interviews, uh, wow. sending audio kits back and forth, you know, all over the country. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then I started editing and, you know, that's where it kind of started to kind of take shape. So, um, it's so well edited. Like you made some decisions early on not to show the talking heads, for example, to mm -hmm. just show the video and, or to show the clips from the film instead. And it just works so well. And it, I, I called it dreamlike, I think, in a little piece mm -hmm. I wrote about it. Yeah. Um, yeah I read that it, great piece. It, it, just in that it really kind of washed over me and I went into it very skeptically thinking, you know, I don't think Showgirls is necessarily good. Um, I feel like I know what this is going to be. It's going to be like the disaster artist where at the end um, they decide to treat it as a joke and like it was a joke all along, but it really wasn't. And that isn't what this movie is. It really goes deep into what their intention was and what the audience response to it was. And it, this sounds a little pretentious, but it's kind of like what is art itself? Like does art work if it doesn't connect with an audience exactly the way it was intended to? Mm -hmm. it's really it's just a fascinating look at something and it sort of proves that if you think about something enough and, and look at something fairly enough and open-mindedly enough there's just such a bounty of of interesting detail to focus on I, I think you just yeah. did a really wonderful job on it and thank you thank you yeah I really wanted to um 
you know, after kind of consuming everything that had been written about Showgirls, um, you know, there was the David Schmader's commentary track that was on the uh, anniversary edition of the DVD and um, Adam Naiman's book, uh, the, the book of poems, the musical, Peaches, you know, like everything, like uh, I went back and read the film, all the film quarterly roundtables. And it was just really interesting to hear like this wide range of of views on this like really complicated film that to this day, like we still, you know, as one of my contributors said, we still haven't quite figured out. And I think that's why um, something like this was, was, you know, Showgirls is kind of like the perfect film for, you know, a discussion like this, you know, cause it, it's, it's one of those, one of those things that we haven't, um, you know, ultimately, you know, unanimously agreed upon, you know, uh, or its value, you know, like I love Room 237, but, you know, The Shining is a great film and, you know, uh, you know, no one's really, you know, going to argue, argue that, you know, it, it isn't. And so like, I thought that to have a conversation around something that people hate, people love and the people <laughs> who love it, you know, also still kind of see its faults and kind of, you know, um, can respect that, you know, the, um, kind of this gray area, you know, where it lives. Yeah, I I totally agree. I feel like it's one of those documentaries. This is one of the highest compliments I can give to documentary. I I just sort of wished it would go on and on. Like I could have watched <laughs> more of it. <laughs> I think you used every scrap of of footage available. Um, where there probably wasn't enough to keep going, but it it really was a thing that I thought I didn't want to hear about or talk about, and then I realized that I'm, what you did with it is absolutely fascinating. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. What that was. Go ahead. Oh. Well, I, I DM'd you out of the blue about two weeks ago because I got the opportunity to talk to Kyle McLaughlin. Yes, yeah. On this, and I apologize for DMing you out of the blue. First of all, no, it's okay. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed you. Like right when your interview started. <laughs> but yeah, I watched I watched your movie in the morning, and then I talked to Kyle McLaughlin, and then I got to ask him if he's seen it uh, recently and whether he agrees that the movie may have been intended satirically in a lot of ways. That Verhoeven may have been trying to make points about the excess of sexualization in Hollywood films um, and may have been totally misunderstood. And he said somewhat disappointingly, he hasn't seen it in a while and he really doesn't know. Um, Do you think Verhoeven was trying to be satirical and just it didn't come across or is that sort of his after the fact narrative? Yeah, I, I I think that's one of the, the 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 alluring things about Showgirls is trying to kind of wrap your head around what what everyone was intending. And I mean, if you just look at Verhoeven's other films, I mean, he is you know he's very provocative. He he likes to you know, um, you know he makes a statement. He uh, he is he uses satire kind of throughout. I mean, you can it, it's widely recognized, you know, his, his satirical elements in Starship Troopers and, you know, Robocop, Total Recall, you know, when it comes to action films. So I don't know, it seems weird that he would, you know, kind of put that aside for, you know, films that kind of deal with sex. So I, I do think, you know, there was, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a level of uh, satire that he was wanted to introduce, but it's just, it, it's kind of, you know, if the audience isn't kind of recognizing that or perceiving it, you know, or it's not kind of hitting the quite, you know, the right spots, then um, I think it's going to be perceived in a, in a different way. So, yeah, it's hard. You know, everyone kind of wants to wrap their head around what everyone was thinking. And this is intentional. Was it a joke? Was it played for for serious? And, you know, what I ultimately kind of realized was like, I guess none of that matters. And, and it's more what I wanted to focus on with Nomi was 
just the relationship we have to it and how it, it's kind of like ever evolving. Um, yeah. Because yeah, those, those, those questions are there. And, and, and I also thought it was important to kind of go back and look at what they were saying about it at the time, just so we can kind of wrap our heads around where their mindset was, you know, with Paul Verhoeven's book of essays and a lot of the press interviews that the cast and crew were giving then. And I found those really interesting just to hear the way, just hearing them talk about it um, before kind of all the reviews. Um, and then, in subsequent years, you know, their stories kind of shift a little bit and they kind of fine tune things. So it's kind of hard to kind of necessarily always take, take them for their, you know, their word about what was intended because it, it's ultimately about, you know, how, it, how it's received. And I, I kind of saw it as their job was done, you know, when the movie was over and, um, you know, the audience kind of, you know, it becomes our story now. Yeah. You find a really good smoking gun about what Verhoeven was thinking at the time with the book that he put together, which seems on its face to be very serious and to take itself very seriously. Maybe that's part of the joke, mm-hmm. if it is a joke, but it doesn't seem that way. It seems like he thinks this is a really good, important movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, what one of our, my contributor, Adam Naiman, what is it, he calls it, what, it's like reading the brochure of the, of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, he kind of goes in. I mean, it's a beautiful book. Uh, the photography is amazing. Um, and it's really the layout's beautiful. And it, it's just really interesting to kind of hear a little bit about, like, the production, um, kind of what, what went into his inspiration. You know, he, he kind of details uh, him and Joe Esterhouse's, you know, um, fact-finding mission in, in Las Vegas and kind of going to the, the hotel casinos and interviewing all the, the showgirls and bouncers and and uh, casino heads and, you know, really trying to find where the story was and ultimately not finding it there, but finding it at the strip clubs. And, and that's where, you know, they were really excited by the, you know, the, the raucous and sleazy environment of, of the strip clubs. So I think that I mean, God only knows what um, what actually happened uh, on that trip, but uh, but that eventually, you know, you could you could see where where that led to the film that we have today. There was an Onion headline a few years ago that was like, "Ironic porn purchase leads to unironic ejaculation," <laughs> and I feel like that <laughs> I feel like that sort of helped a lot with <laughs> the making That's of Showgirls. I, I feel like they may have set out to make it. Um, satirical in places but then they got confused along the way and they're like oh actually why don't you you know do this scene topless or whatever yeah. and may not have been able to have an ironic or um artistic reason for that yeah and you know, yeah and I, I mean you know they, they they talk a lot about you know their intentions kind of joe uh esterhouse and paul verhoeven kind of on all these press junkets and you know, uh, I was just going back over some of the stuff last night and, you know, Joe Esterhaus said, that, you know, this is like a feminist movie, you know, Nomi Malone, uh, you know, fights to like hold on to her soul, you know, by the end of it. So, I mean, that's what they were really pushing this message. But um, but kind of going shaping in the experience that they had from Basic Instinct because they came off uh, Basic Instinct uh, prior to this. So they worked together on that film and Paul Verhoeven had expressed a lot of frustration with having to cut um, that movie down to the R rating that he was required to deliver. Um, so, you know, they basically then got the green light with Showgirls to make an NC-17 film. And so I think just having that basic instinct experience and then knowing 
you know, during the production that, you know, he basically could do essentially whatever they wanted, you know, as far as nudity and, and, um, and sex, and, and they weren't going to get any pushback from MPAA or the studio. And so I think that kind of yeah. felt like they could, you know, that was a blank check. Yeah. You know, I, I thought the feminist narrative was a little bit, it, it's like guys doing a feminist narrative where whenever there's like a, a supposedly feminist action movie. It's just like a woman kicking a lot of ass um, yeah. by a male director. Direct, a, okay. a male director's vision of feminism is like a woman who beats up a bunch of guys. Um, and I felt like there was a little bit of that. But I did... The reason I started to take Showgirls a little more seriously because I was like everyone else who was alive in 1995 and I was 20 and I remember seeing all of the criticism and how it turned into just this complete pile-on and this is the worst movie ever made and everyone involved should be ashamed... Um, and they were particularly brutal to Elizabeth Berkeley, which, as your film shows, was really not fair. Um, but there was such a pile on. And then I was dating somebody who was a women's studies major, um, a graduate student, who was just like, oh, yeah, the Gina Gershon character in Showgirls is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. she's actually a spectacular character. Mm-hmm. And I, she liked it, you know, ironically and humorously, but she also liked it just as a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because she was able to find the good parts of it along with mm-hmm. the stuff that was obviously, um, to use very 2020 vernacular, problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the interesting things about, you know, speaking to everyone about this was, was yes, you have this kind of, they said there were, they were, they had these intentions going into it, you know, the filmmakers, and then, you know, it gets ripped and shredded for, you know, being the misogyny and everything kind of depicted into it. But then, you know, you still find, you know, women fighting feminist message within it. And, you know, it just shows like you don't have to have uh, those ideals kind of guiding the production in order for people to find messages and, and kind of take, take their own, you know, draw their own experiences from it and you know pull messages out that they see so i I found that you know really inspiring um you know and interesting really interesting you know everyone kind of had their own their own take and their own view and um yeah do you think the lgbtq subtext was intentional or was it you know the the kissing between women and stuff like that do you think they intended that to make a to make an artistic statement or was it just supposed to be titillating and oh my gosh two women are kissing yeah, I, that's that's a hard one because there is this you know kind of queer thread that runs through you know some of the I mean the whole the Molly Nomi relationship kind of feels slightly slightly uh, queer bisexual and then you have Crystal who you know who's bi but you know you're not really quite buying it on Nomi's side so I mean Paul even said that you know a lot of that the the sex in his movie is not about you know connection or intimacy it's about you know power you know and i mean he does use um if you you know going back and looking at his early films i mean he does have you know pretty decent representation among you know a lot of lgbt characters within his film i mean the fourth man you know is uh you know has a a major gay thread you know kind of running throughout it uh spetters too you know i mean there's some kind of deeply problematic you know uh moments in that film but that you know he that's definitely an area he hasn't shied away from, you know, from, you know, and that was back in the late seventies, early eighties. So, um, I I don't think that's like a new, um, kind of area for him to explore, uh, and embrace. So, you know, I guess I I appreciated that from that, you know, from that aspect. Um, but the, go ahead. Oh, I just mean he's accused of homophobia with basic instinct, but 
I was going to ask, do you think he's homophobic? Um, ah, that's a tough question because you know I, I don't know him. I never met him, but um, I, I, I don't see. Yes, I, I understand those concerns and, and those claims, and I can see why people would would draw those. Um, you know, would, would accuse him of that. But you know, I, I, I don't think that that um, necessarily means he's homophobic. You know. Yeah. Um, what was your what surprised you the most when you finished this film? What were the things that you didn't expect to learn about showgirls or about anything? The thing that I that was kind of most surprising was kind of the wide range of viewpoints uh, of the film. Like when I started, I, I it was really important for me to have. Um, uh, you know, kind of cover every kind of viewpoint of, of it. And I thought like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to find fans of the film and I'm gonna have to find people who didn't like it. And that was actually one of the harder parts was, was finding critics who reviewed it negatively at the time and still kind of think negatively about it or, you know, had critical things to say. Um, but what I found was people, um, you know, who love the film, like myself, you know, still have issues with, you know, a lot of the, the things that, that, that uh, are in it. And so, being able to have this kind of like honest discussion without kind of dismissing dismissing it, I found really kind of refreshing. So you know, I, I was able to kind of the 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 critical voices, you know, still came from people who approached the film with a kind of love and 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 care, and and so I, I found that really uh, interesting. Yeah, I really appreciated the USA Today writer who said basically, it's fine. It's two and a half stars. It's not amazing. It's not terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, because, I don't. I don't know if you go on. Yeah, Metacritic, but she was. She's actually the only critic on Showgirls where it's still it's a green color. It's like the only <laughs> green on the very very top. You know, a, a bunch. You know, a sea of red below it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, Susan was in it. Was great. Um, and she was really excited to be, you know, a part of it. She had no idea that she was she she was the only green one up there. Um, but yeah, she she uh, appreciated it, and she was one of the few credit re- reviews that I read uh, from that time that kind of mentioned like the I mean, she saw the camp, you know, uh, aspect immediately. So you know, it was kind of like a no brainer for her. Like, oh yeah, like this will do really well with you know, um, kind of counterculture camp cult audiences. Yeah. Yeah, it it was funny because so many people. It felt like the safe mode was just to say this is bad, um, you know, there are naked people in it. It's Vegas. It's tacky. Joe Esterhaus is tacky. Paul Verhoeven is tacky. I hate this movie. Save your money. Society is crumbling. And you see that like every few years with like a Jersey Shore or something where people will say mm-hmm. this is it. Culture's mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. We're done. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy target. It's a very easy target. Yeah, every every kind of generation or any every year i guess you know feels like we have you know a thing like that where it, it's kind of easy to pile on to but yeah i guess one th- one thing that you know kind of going back and reading all the early reviews is what was just reading the way that it was critiqued and, and the way in which you know elizabeth was critiqued and you know i i don't think you'll have you would see criticism today that would include critiques of women's appearances, which, you know, showed up, you know, it was just disgusting to read. I mean, that, that, uh, Gene Siskel review, every time I see that stings so bad, you know, it's just like, how, 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 how do you think that that is, uh, valid or worth, worth mentioning is, was, you know, kind of the way 
these these women are are appearing, you know, to you, you know, yeah, and just the disgust in his voice, it's just like, ugh. I'm so glad that's in the trailer. I mean, he says, "I don't think the star is attractive," which is like, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's just. Yeah, I don't think that would happen now. I mean, I, I, I hope that wouldn't happen now. It's. Do you think criticism has changed much since since nineteen ninety five? I, you know, I, I would think I would hope so. You know, I, I think it's probably gotten a little better. But I mean, I, I mean, now we have social media, so I think everyone everyone's a critic, and you know, everyone can kind of say what they think online and, you know, criticism. I mean, that's, you I mean, log on to Twitter and, and, you know, it's just a bunch of reviews about what people are saying, articles, you know, songs, photos, you know, so. Yeah. The thing that makes me a little crazy about it is, you know, Twitter obviously rewards people who have the more extreme view uh, and everybody because of that kind of tries to outdo themselves with, no, it's not just a bad movie. It's the worst movie. And it's not just the worst movie. It's going to kill people. Uh, and it needs to be burned, and <laughs> it just gets more and more extreme. And yeah. one reason I really like that USA Today review is it was just nuanced and like it's okay, everybody, you know, relax. It's a movie. Um, you yeah. might like it, you might not like it, which yeah. is the voice that always gets drowned out because nobody's going to retweet. Hey, this movie's okay. Yeah. I don't mind it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the one. But it's the one that stands out in this case. And it's been interesting to see just the reception to to know me and i don't know how many documentaries kind of look at criticism but you know it it it, critics you know we have been getting you know positive reviews and people are enjoying it and um so it's just interesting to hear you know reviews about a documentary about you know bad review a film that was bad reviewed you know yeah and we just heard your son daughter uh, son son yeah 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 so that's that's what that was Oh yeah. no no no! I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it in, but I wanted people to know that there's not like a dinosaur um, no attacking dinosaur. or anything. I think one of the coolest scenes in the entire movie is the way you break down and analyze the scene where they talk about eating dog food, and so many people dismiss that scene as just totally ridiculous because um, they're talking about eating dog food. But what you talk about with the position of the camera and the change that is made midway through, in terms of their positioning, is so perceptive and something that. I don't think anyone but you would have noticed. It's so, it's just so incisive and it, it's, it really kind of epitomizes what a good job the entire documentary does. Yeah, that was, and I, I give credit to Adam Naiman because that was in his book, um, uh, Showgirls, It Doesn't Suck. Um, so if you're interested <laughs> in, a, in a deep dive, you know, even deeper dive, um, it's, it's, a, it's a great read. It goes by quick. Um, I definitely recommend it. But he, when I, when I read that the first time, you know, I just got like chills like through my body. I was mm. like, oh my gosh, I have never noticed that. Um, and I loved kind of pairing that up with um, David Schmader because, you know, one of the fun things to do in, in the film was to kind of take take a scene and then kind of get two um, viewpoints on it. Yeah. And, you know, kind of David Schmader was kind of approaching it as like, this is ridiculous. Like the craziest thing about this scene is when, you know, trying to figure out what the subtext is and then you realize there's absolutely no subtext at all uh, and then like the motifs that kind of reoccur you know um, so he called it like the the crown jewel of, of showgirls because it's so insane and then you know kind of then shifting to adam's perspective about it and he uh you know looks at like what Verhoeven you know was intending with with the scene and what he's doing as a filmmaker 
Because um, even Verhoeven himself has spoken about that scene in his book of essays. He um, was inspired by, I believe it was North by Northwest. Um, there was a conversation scene um, and they it, it started out wide and then as it cut, you know, from, you know, side of the table it eventually got closer and closer you know until the shot was you know right up in, in, into the characters faces and so he um, I mean yeah he's a huge Hitchcock fan so it was interesting to, to, to see that um, and then you know kind of pair that with Adam um, Adam's kind of take yeah oh, the last thing I wanted to ask is just what you're doing now I mean I'm super excited to see your next movie oh nice um, I am still trying to kind of figure out what, what the next project is. I have a couple ideas that, uh, that I'd love to focus on, but, um, but yeah, I know it's, I'm going to kind of stay within the pop cultural landscape, but, uh, but like most of us, you know, like we're, you know, uh, working from home, you know, as you can hear the little ones in the back. And so kind of productivity has kind of grinded to a halt in the last yeah. couple of months. Um, but and that's okay. I, yeah. But you know, the, but the interesting thing about, about, the process with Nomi was, you know, I didn't shoot one frame of video for it. So, I mean, it's almost like that format of documentary filmmaking is kind of perfect for the, you know, the the world that we're that we may be entering. So, you know, that, that it's I probably will, you know, kind of use some of those, you know, same techniques, you know, on, on the next project just out of necessity, you know. So this really could be kind of a look at the types of movies we'll get in a worst case scenario, because this is still a really entertaining movie. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it definitely could be. Yeah, I mean, and hopefully, you know, people. Yeah, you know, you just gotta kind of think. You know, if you start to kind of shift your, you know, your idea of of you know what a film is, or you know, the way that you um, can tell a story. I mean, that was like one of the things. Like, I, I wanted, I, I knew I could do this on my own. Like, I knew I, I could I could tell this story. I knew there was a story there. Um, I knew I didn't want to make a traditional behind the scenes kind of making of, I, wa I wanted to kind of focus on, um, these, these, these viewpoints and these theories and these relationships with showgirls that I found really interesting. Mm -hmm.